0: It's Tuesday, April 2nd, and today I need to tell you the urgent story of Jermaine Anderson, a 43-year-old man who is about to be sent to federal prison any day now for a crime he already served his time for. I'll also give you a full download on the important news from Facebook that they're going to institute a full ban on white supremacy and white nationalism. And lastly, I need to step in and continue to defend Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, from attacks coming from both inside and outside the Democratic Party, and explain to you why I think we all need to defend and protect her at all costs. As everybody else talks about Trump's latest tweets, the Mueller report, and Justice Smollett, we're going in a different direction. We're not just here to change the news; we're here to change the world. This daily news podcast is not a repeat of what you've already heard somewhere else. I'm here to skip past the BS and tell you what you need to hear with the color nuance, context, and passion that our news deserves. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the The Breakdown. Hey everybody, hope you're doing really well. Glad to have you back here on our second full episode of The Breakdown. Sometimes I'll be here to give you a fresh perspective on a new story that you've probably already heard. But when I do that, my job is to tell you the facts behind the facts, the story behind the story, and give it the context and passion that it deserves. But today is one of those days that I have to start with a story that just isn't getting told and spread the way it needs to be spread and told. I need to tell you about a wonderful brother named Jermaine Anderson. Who lives and works right outside of New Haven, Connecticut. And I hate to venture into respectability politics, but you know what? Let me first explain what respectability politics even is to all of our listeners. Break, 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 break break it down. Respectability politics is this idea that if marginalized groups, if marginalized people only behaved and acted, carried themselves in a way that the dominant group in power respected and understood. Respectability politics is this idea that if we did all those things, that the oppression might go away. Sometimes respectability politics seems harmless. When we hear people, including even President Obama, saying, pull up your pants, or don't wear gold chains or gold teeth, or for women, don't wear bright colored hair. Sometimes we hear people saying, you know, if you only dressed like A, B, or C instead of D, E, and F, life would be so much easier for you. And maybe you're hearing me right now and you're thinking, but damn, Sean, isn't that true? And my answer is this. On the most surface level, it may be true. White people may strongly prefer Black people who fit inside of a very narrow definition of respectability. But when we advance these notions over and over and over again, it translates into something more nefarious and problematic in society. And it's this. We begin to imply that some black people deserve respect and equality and some don't. But we must reject this idea that only some black lives matter and instead fight for the intersectional idea that all black lives matter. Because the truth is that this notion that wearing a suit and tie is what will keep you from discrimination or bigotry or even police brutality, this idea is just bogus. None of us should have to earn or fight for a base level of common respect and decency. So a young black man with his pants sagging, he deserves the same base level of decency and respect as a young black man in a suit. And if you immediately make one stereotypical set of assumptions about the character of the person in the sagging pants that you don't make for the person in the suit, then you too have fallen victim to respectability politics. Which brings me to my first story. Jermaine Anderson is stereotypically respectable. He's 43 years old. He owns his own home. He literally works for the Parks and Recreation Department. And as a leader in his local church, he's fit, trim, neat, and mannerly. But 16 years ago, Jermaine was convicted for possessing and using counterfeit money. And he went to prison for it. He did three years of hard time. He owned it. He made a huge mistake and paid a heavy price for it. Prison was rough, but he endured it. He was a model prisoner. And when he got out, he walked on the straight and narrow path not only avoiding any crimes, but becoming a model citizen. For years, he was a manager at Walmart and eventually worked for several other retail outlets before finally settling in as a government employee in his hometown. And over the past 13 years since Jermaine's release from prison, he's been a valuable member of his community. No more arrest, no more crimes, no tickets, nothing. That's why he was shocked recently when federal agents barged into his home and served him with a warrant for his arrest. He literally thought it was a case of mistaken identity. They told him it was for financial crimes. Of course, Jermaine told them that he'd already been to prison for that and served his time. But guess what the federal government is saying? They're saying that they forgot to have Jermaine serve 18 additional months in federal prison for the same crimes he's already gone to jail for. They aren't saying that he's done anything wrong since his release. They're saying that when they released him from prison 13 years ago, that they did it 18 months too early. And now they want him as a 43-year-old homeowner who works for the Parks and Recreation Department. They want him to now report back to prison. And it's outrageous. Of course, his attorneys are fighting it, but it may not be enough. The federal government is not saying that Jermaine has been running from the law. The man works for the government. He's passed his background checks. He even served his probation time after he was released. He hasn't been living under someone else's name or something like that. This is the government's error. And now they basically want him to turn his whole life upside down and go back to prison because they made a huge mistake. I'm working with some friends of Jermaine to see what we can do to help him, but he is literally supposed to report back to prison any day now And the government isn't budging on their case. Now, if he gets sent back to prison, let's at least raise the money to pay for his mortgage and set him up for when he returns. But I'm going to get some additional information. I'm going to report back here tomorrow and tell you some action steps that we can take together, all right? Next up, Facebook just made what I truly believe is a historic decision about their full ban on white supremacy and white nationalism. I want to give credit where credit is due, because they did what people thought they'd never do. As you may have seen, Facebook recently made a huge announcement that they're going to ban all white supremacists and all white nationalists and all people who support them from both Facebook and Instagram. And I can't tell you how historic of a development this truly is, And this is why civil rights organizations really, really matter, because behind the scenes, the nation's leading civil rights groups and their leaders have been fighting for this for a long time. And it's really the single biggest move to stomp out hate that has ever happened on social media. Now, some people are screaming free speech, but they don't know how free speech actually works. Free speech means that if you want to be hateful in your house, you can. If you want to be hateful out on the sidewalk, you can. You want to be hateful at a rally, you can. But businesses are allowed to say that you can't be hateful inside of their establishments. And every time you put your username and password to log into Facebook or Instagram, you have to abide by their rules and regulations. You have to abide by their terms of service. You've already agreed to them. And they are fully allowed to say what words and phrases and images are or are not allowed there. This isn't about free speech. They're a corporation, and corporations have the power to ban hate from their platforms. And it's important that this development has happened because bigotry and hate crimes are growing like wildfire in this nation. Listen to me. Do you know when the deadliest hate crime ever against Jews in this country took place? It didn't happen during the Holocaust. The deadliest hate crime ever against Jews in this country happened just four months ago at the Tree of Life Synagogue when a white supremacist walked right in there and slaughtered nine senior citizens. And he planned and announced that attack online. Do you know when the deadliest hate crime against African Americans in the past 90 years took place? Most people would guess that it happened in the 1950s or 60s or during the Civil Rights Movement. But no. The deadliest hate crime against African-Americans in our lifetime took place in 2015 when Dylan Roof walked right into a Charleston church and murdered the pastor and eight other people at a small group Bible study, and he was radicalized online. Do you know when the deadliest hate crime against Muslims in our lifetime took place? It happened just two weeks ago when a white supremacist murdered 50 Muslim men, women, and children praying at mosque in New Zealand. And guess where he streamed it? Facebook Live. These bigots are using Facebook groups and Facebook pages and technologies to spread their hate and even plot their violence. And so I'm glad that Facebook took this bold step. It won't be easy to enforce, but the cost of not enforcing it are literally life and death. And we must never use how difficult something may be to keep us from trying to tackle the problem. Now, next up, I want to close out today by talking about the bravery and courage of Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and the constant attacks that she's under from Democrats and Republicans alike. The, 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 The breakdown. I'm so disgusted, but Democrats have now restarted their attacks on newly elected Congresswoman Ilhan Omar again. Even comparing her to Donald Trump this past week, ...at the annual AIPAC conference. And at that conference, we expected conservatives to be ugly toward her, and they were. But leading Democrats actually piled on and insulted her more than anyone, including Congressman Steny Hoyer, who was the second most powerful Democrat in the House, and Chuck Schumer, who was the leading Democrat in the Senate. And it's disturbing to see Democrats do this, because when they attack Ilhan Omar... It gives the worst elements and people in our nation full permission to go all in. And it ultimately puts her in danger and goes against the very thing that Democrats literally just said a few weeks ago about how they didn't want Democrats attacking fellow Democrats. Some days I'm not the least bit convinced that Democrats have any earthly idea what they're doing. Many of us thought that these attacks against Congresswoman Ilhan Omar had ended, but these new attacks from Democrats show that they've decided to actually restart them over and over again, really causing some new divisions within the party. And We're going to have to continue to defend and protect Ilhan at all costs. She's a brilliant and courageous leader, always speaking truth to power. and We need her to feel loved and supported. Listen, I've got to run. But I'll be right back here tomorrow. We want to thank all of you for making it through our second full episode of The Breakdown. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here every single weekday breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe here and share this with your friends and family. Of course, thank you so much to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. I love you all and appreciate you so much. If you love this podcast and you want to support our work, or you want to see the show notes and transcript for each episode, we'd love it if you would consider becoming a founding member of our community. And you can do that by going to the Northstar.com. There we not only have all of our podcasts, but hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers in the world. Lastly, Thank you again to our producer and podcasting director, Willis, for putting in the hard work to get this podcast off the ground and up and running. And a final shout out to Idris and Lance, who added some extra flavor and instrumentation to our theme music and transitions to give this podcast a special feel. Take care, you all.